Hi guys, it's JT. Yes, JT, obviously, your host for Figuring Out Wokeness. Um, I wanted to spend a little time today talking about work. Yes, work. I feel like with COVID-19 and the protests that have been going on this week, that there's been a lot of framing around the issue of work or the right to work or if we should go back to work. And considering that there's probably a multitude of scenarios that you're facing right now with work, whether it be that you're unemployed or laid off, or whether or not you are teleworking at home, or you are an essential worker, thank you very much from all of us. Um, I think that it's time to reflect and look at how American society views work. Um, Because it really is our view of work is pervasive in a lot of policies and attitudes that are playing out right now. So I wanted to take a little bit of time to do that. But before I talk about what I think is the general attitude towards work, I wanted to give my personal outlook on work and give you guys just a little bit of um, my history and and my background. Um, Before diving into the writing world, diving into podcasting, Um, and going a little bit closer to uh, political commentary, which is what I'm trying to break into now and working on. Um, I was an educator. Um, I taught elementary school for for more than 15 years. I taught um, English to college students who were trying to pass their TOEFL tests, um, which is basically an English test to go into college. So I taught adults. I also taught uh, high school during summer. Um, so basically, again, my, my field is education. And I found a lot of satisfaction in that work. I think I was really good at it. But I think what I have an advantage of is that I was told certain things about how to view work from my mother. And then I've had certain experiences that have cemented her lessons. One experience specifically around work came to me at a time when I wasn't actually able to work. Um, Back in 2009, I got very, very ill, um, ended up having renal failure, stayed a month in ICU. It was a whole ordeal. And I remember that the day that I got out of the hospital, the agreement for me to leave was that I was going to go right from the hospital to an outpatient dialysis center to be dialysized. That was like the conditions of my release from ICU. And so um, the experience that I had at the ICU center more than 11 years ago, um, oh, 11? Yeah, 11. Yeah, 11? I'm doing my math right. Okay, don't hate me if I'm not. But my thing is, is that I was sitting there And I I remember walking into the dial center and I was very, very sick, guys, really, really sick. I could barely get from the car to the to the chair. And so I finally sat down. A friend of mine was gracious enough to take me. And, um, you know, they're getting you set up. You're meeting the nurses. And I ended up meeting this social worker. And let me just tell you, she never said her name like it wasn't the the normal introduction which would have been like hi my name is so-and-so I'm the social worker here I actually ended up finding out after our exchange that she was the social worker for the dialysis center 
Um, so that just kind of gives you a framing of the context in which I was working. And so she comes up to me. I'm sitting in the chair. She pulls up a, a stool. She comes up real quiet. She grabs my hand and she says to me, don't worry, sweetie, we'll get you back to work. Um, I can tell you <laughs> that given that I look like walking death, I did not understand where the hell she was coming from. Um, I don't know if she just saw the fact that I was young and she was like, of course you should be working. Why are you in this dialysis center? That might have been the case. I personally think given the vibe that she gave me in follow-up conversations, that it was more like an ancestral flashback and she was thinking plantation. Sorry, guys. Like, it was, um, it was, it was a callous experience for me. And the fact that I was so sick, like, no one, no rational person would have been like, oh, yeah, I'm sure you can go back and teach tomorrow. There was just no possible way. I was so, so, so ill. And for her to have that be her first concern, not, you know, are you able to prepare meals at home? Do you have someone to help you with housework? Even like, which was an issue for me, are you, do you have transportation to be dialysized? Was never brought up in the conversation. And because of that being her experience, like that was her, my first impression of her, I never, I never wanted to talk to her after that. Like that was it for me. And so I bring up that memory because it says to me that her values around work aren't just exclusive to her. That this whole idea of the importance of work, um, work's place in our lives, somehow has gone from a healthy thing to a not so healthy thing. And the bad part about it is I think that there are some people who don't even like to have the conversation because I think there's an assumption that if you talk about work in regards to if is it's good work, if it's bad work, if you're working too much, if you're working too little, that there's all of these judgments around it. And so fruitful conversations don't really happen. Like, I'll give you an example. We, I, I think many of you saw the protesters. Um, I was saddened to see protesters in Annapolis, um, which is real close to where I'm from, back in the DMV. I was, you know, I saw them. Um, there were some in Austin, which I was like, okay. Um, I also saw up in Michigan, a few in Ohio. So, you know... Um, not, not this, these weren't one-offs. And I know a lot of people want to just write off those protesters. And I, I understand extremely the feelings around them. My first, first reaction when I saw them was how selfish of you, how selfish of you to go out, risk your life and the lives of others and increase the risk for those people who are frontline doctors, nurses, um, hospital workers why would you do that and you know if you need saving the same people who 
who you're standing in front of, it, it was just, it was a hot mess, quite honestly. Like, I saw that nurse who was standing in front of the car, and, you know, that lady was just yelling at, it, it just seems, honestly, what it, it, from an outsider's point of view, it seems like misplaced frustration to me. And I understand that frustration a little bit because not only did I see the protests in various states, but I also have been catching glimpses of Fox News and their messaging around work. I have heard several Fox contributors talking about work like, and you know, and it's sly. It's not overt. They don't come out and like directly say it, but they say it like, like a one-off. They say, oh, I heard someone talking about their job and they were saying how it's everything to them. I heard how someone was talking about their position and they were saying like it's their whole identity that they were nothing without work and you know I I understand that that they're propagating an ideology around work but the other thing that they're doing is just absolutely insensitive because one of your viewers is sitting there listening you talk about how work is everything and it's how it's, you know, it should be people's identity and it is people's identity. And I'm not saying that that unfortunately isn't the case for some, but for you to say this in a time of unemployment that's going towards 27 million people, for you to equate work with that and get away with it and for someone to take it that in at this time yeah I, I you know for a long you know I have a hard time watching Fox News and I watch it for the counterpoints but you know I've always known it was it was slanted just like let's be real MSNBC to me is slanted and so is CNN but for it to be such um destructive messaging at this time I thought was kind of unique the other thing I want to say is what's going on with the protesters and what's going on with the Fox News rhetoric really is emblematic of some ways that we have looked at work that are out of proportion so I have seen it's been my personal experience and I'm sure many of you can relate that there is this attitude when it comes to work and illness that is not the same as like our European counterparts. I will say that even Asia and Asian countries that have like just a, a, a very strong work ethic as as and it's tied to like duty and like, you know, they have some things of like, you know, there have been documents of people working themselves literally to death in Japan. I'm not saying that's not problematic, but I will say that there is even a closer tendency for Asian countries to say that like, there is not an expectation for you to work when you're ill. And the reason why COVID-19 brings up the perfect chance for us to reevaluate is that for the first time ever, 
if you were sick with COVID-19, your boss should have wanted you to go to work. I'm sorry, go home. Your boss should have said, go home. Oh, you don't look so great. Go home, work and wait. It's like one of the first times that I feel like whether they did it or not, which has obviously been a problem at places like Amazon and poultry factor factories and pork plants like Smithfield. The reality is, is that for the first time in American history, if you're sick, the best thing for you to do is to go home, isolate and rest. And while that might sound like common sense, it's not common sense that we've been practicing in the past. I personally have had situations, not that I've been talked bad about, because, you know, when you have renal failure and then multiple illnesses after, you miss work. I've never personally heard the garbage, but I'm sure it was being said, because even as a teacher that had some leave and had workplace protections like sick bank and and luckily I got ill during FMLA even though I had all of those protections which I'm so grateful for and am angry that everyone else does not have there was still people who I had a colleague um who got cancer and I had just every time she was out, someone had something to say about her not being at work. Some weird fucked up analogy about how their cousin's sister's brother, you know, he worked up until the day he died. What? Like, and you know, I used to hear that and think, uh, okay, wait a minute. Like it, it was a gut check for me. It was a gut check considering that the conversation wasn't Oh, I'm so glad that so-and-so is resting. I hope her cancer treatment's going well. We'll for sure pick up the slack here at work because if I'm sick, I want someone else to do the same thing for me. That was not the conversation. It wasn't the conversation. Among teachers who, I'll be honest with you, if you got sick, they don't really want you to come to work and be around the kids either because then you end up with a class full, full room, a classroom full of sick children. Like... I did see sometimes if a if a teacher had the flu or was had something that they thought like you really shouldn't be around either the sick kids or or the kids who you know potentially were sick or yourself carrying it to them. There was kind of that respect with those kind of things, but a substantial illness it was definitely like, "Oh, wait a minute, how dare you get ill? Don't you know you're supposed to be working?" And you know, and again, my my view might be tainted because like I said, I've had some unique experiences and have seen how strange people behave when a colleague is in crisis. Um, The response, in my view, hasn't always been what it should be. You know, one of community and rallying. Um, And don't get me wrong, I'm sure that's not the case for everyone and and. I know if I think that you, if you're sick, you should take time for yourself, that work is second then, that there are other humane, rational beings that view the same thing. However, regardless of what I anecdotally talk about, the reality is, is that our policies are not there. We've been talking about paid sick leave since Clinton, if not before. And I bring Clinton up as a example because Clinton passed FMLA 
right? During his term, during his presidency, excuse me, he he went ahead and he passed it. But I remember the conversations around FMLA back then. It was, oh my God, you're going to actually give people unpaid, not even paid, didn't even push towards paid. We didn't even get that far. There was a big stink, mostly among Republicans, but yes, some Democrats who were like, wait a minute, you want to give people like, you know, protection for their job when their kid or themselves get ill? Like, do we really want a handicap industry like that? I've heard, I heard that, that, that fucked up thinking being spewed around cable news networks. Yes. And even CNN contributors were talking about, I don't know if we should, you know, would it de-incentivize work if we had FML? Just and you have to understand the callousness of that kind of conversation during that time, because I know now we're like, you know, it's, it's you know, decades later. But there was a, a callousness to even us not having the option of FMLA, because what you had is you had capitalism telling employees, oh, your kid's sick? Well, you're out of leave. You know, we gave you 10 generous days, and I know that they have cancer, but... You got to get your ass back to work if you want to feed them. Like, that is what we were saying to workers in America. In America, where you're supposed to be free to be able to make those choices of family versus work. And and us communally come together and rally around you. Given that you are facing something that could happen to any of us. It took legislation that didn't even come far enough to put FMLA in in the 90s. And let me just talk about the fact that we didn't put in paid leave. See, the conversation only went halfway because the conversation should have been, well, of course we're going to let you off to go sit at your son's chemo therapy appointment. Of course we're going to let, oh, he's having a surgery? No problem. We got you covered. Not only with your position at your job, but we don't want you to have to even think about how you're going to pay your bills or having a roof over his and your and your family's head while you go through this medical tragedy. No, we didn't have that conversation. We were too busy talking about, oh, I don't know if people are going to abuse this. Mm-hmm. I know you have to get like a doctor's note and it has to be like approved by your employer and like how like it really has helped people not go from illness to direct poverty even though it's not going far enough we didn't have those conversations and we didn't have those conversations because of the same situations of us prioritizing work over family and health and our policies reflect that that's why we don't have the ones we need It's just that this situation is making us, hopefully, hopefully, I don't know if it will or not. Hopefully, it'll make us reevaluate. I'm very skeptical if our our attitude towards work is changing. I don't know if people's attitude, like citizens' attitude is changing, and our politicians are late to the game, and they have their own various reasons. And the reason why I'm questioning that is, like, I just, just, right before I came on air, Cuomo, you know, here's the deal. So Cuomo was asked by a reporter, hey, what do you think, I don't, I don't, 
the question was not in regards to the protesters. Let me just say this. It wasn't clearly framed like that. Basically, the question was, what do you say to people who want to return to work? Okay, I did not catch whether or not she, this was a follow-up question to the protesters or whatever. And he said, well, if you want to work so bad, become an essential employee or become an essential worker. Okay. Now, that might on the surface seem like, well, yeah, like all those protesters voting, like um, all those protesters protesting, why don't you just become essential workers if you're so... And I know it also gives credence to the theory that the people out there protesting aren't really workers. They're more like small business owners that want their workers back to work and their businesses back open. And I do know that there was a fraction of those people there. But I also saw interviews with people who were literally just standalone employees who are running out of money and scared as fuck. And not all of them. I hate to say this shit because I know... It, it brings up bad memories. But there were people in that crowd who literally just joined the protest. Yes, ill-advised. And yes, they should be home. But they are scared. And that's why they're out there. I do think that's a small portion. Because of what Cuomo said. And that, again, I know the attitude that America has around work. And so... Going back to the whole idea that he said, we'll become essential workers. I know on the surface that seems like an answer to the protesters. However, for him as a leader of New York, who told people, mandated that people shut their businesses and go in the house, I think you have to be very careful with your language because we now have a pandemic outside our doors And there will be a segment of the population who is unable to work. There are people who have autoimmune disorders, who are going through chemotherapy, who do have health issues like asthma and respiratory diseases, who cannot go back to work as an essential worker. And if they're working right now, they they are taking a risk that I do not believe should be demanded on them. And the problem I'm having, particularly with his words, is that I hope you are not writing policy like that. I hope you are not saying to people in your communities, yeah, I know you're broke, but you know, you could become an essential worker. Again, our reframing around work has to be different. And so I thought a lot about how I've been taught about work, my values, And how I do actually believe I have like a healthy sense of work's place in my life that I just want to share. And you might totally not agree with me. And I think um, if you don't agree with me, I think you should at least question why you don't and and just just evaluate, you know, and again, no, no, it's just an option. How I was taught about work is that if you take a dollar from someone because they're paying you to do something you do it the best you can that you do not go to work and half-ass it that you do your best work because someone is giving you their money period now whether or not you know I've been blessed that I've always worked in things that are not only for a paycheck but also serve a social good um that's been the trajectory of my career 
Um, However, we are now seeing that if you stock shelves or you're driving a cab or you're driving a bus or you're um, serving meals at a hospital, that those are also social goods as well. Hopefully, everyone's clear on that distinction. But even with my job being serving the public, serving the common good, and also providing a paycheck, my mother always put into me the value that you are first, your job is second. If you get sick, Gina has to recover in order to work that job. And that no matter what kind of job you have, when you are off the earth, someone will fill that position or that position will go away. And that's just the reality and the temporal nature of work. And so with that in mind, she was clear to say, like, listen, if you're sick, you get better first and then you do work. And you make sure you have the savings or the means to be able to do that. You put yourself in a position um, with employment to be able to do that. The only problem with her advice, and I understand it was, it was also career advice as well. That's not an option that we've given to all of our workers at all. I personally think the reason why we have the gig economy is because workers were like, I, I have a sick child at home or I need to take care of my mother or I need to take care of my health and I can't come nine to five on your schedule and then not have leave. And so the gig economy was born because they saw a need, but they didn't want to fill it. They didn't want to like give you leave. They were just like, okay, we'll just work when you want and we'll just piece together the schedule. And then because you have this flexibility that normally we've given to either government workers, kind of, or the top, top, top part of our employment workforce, aka, you know, I'm sure people at Google aren't worried about leave right now. My thing is because we've stratified, I don't know if that's the right word, but separated our workforce into classes, we gave this option for people who needed some flexibility, but it was predatory because literally they, as an, as a trade-off, they're given less wages. They're given less income security. They're given no benefits. Like people who set up that model, I wonder their motives. I personally think they were like, Hey, this is the selling point and this is the exploitation. There are some people who won't see it in those um, stark terms. That's fine. Either way, that's what we have right now. And so I think about what advice I would pass on to my 19-month-old when she's beginning to work. And I would say to her and to her generation, including mine, the current one right now, everyone who's listening, look, work is not number one. It is in your life, but not to be put above your health or your family. That's just the cutoff. Work does not come before your health or your family because those things are more important. And so when you're looking for an employer to work for, you make sure you have the flexibility to take care of yourself or your family. And if you are not seeing that situation, I would hope that my generation and and her generation, and hopefully she's not fighting for this shit much longer, and I hope that, honestly, this isn't even an issue for her. 
But if it is, I would tell her then, you know, first, not only fight for yourself and make sure you have that, but then reach back and fight for somebody else who might not have the voice to do it. And so I'm imploring us to take some reflection time and start to demand work and a philosophy around work and policies around work that honor our work and do not treat us like indentured servants. I also would just like to say, and I know I tweeted out a few things about the protesters, um, but one of the things I did say is that the reality is that some of those people are fighting for the same thing that people on the left are. Now, wait a minute. I know you're like, what? Where they? What do they have in common with the left? What they have in common is that no matter who they are out in that crowd, they're not getting their needs met. The reality is our government could have said, look, I'm going to give you $2,000, you know, like our neighbors up in Canada for the next three months or at least at least the next three months or for the duration of this um, pandemic. And it could have maybe because I know that our government is half assing it. They could have maybe not even agreed to UBI, even though that would have been my preference. But they could have said, like, look, until we have a measure like, you know, we're above 60 percent employment. This is what we're going to do. Or until we have a vaccine or effective treatment, this is what we're going to do. They could have also said to mortgage companies, and I don't know if you guys caught the, I hate, I hate the fact that I don't know his name, but he's a, a gentleman who's trending on Twitter and he's ranting in his car about how, listen, it would have been so simple for mortgage companies to take the three months and put it on the back of your mortgage. That would have been it. Not the furlough garbage that they offered that I talked about in a couple episodes ago. No, they could have said, look, we're going to put your mortgage, these three payments or however long you need, but it's going to go on the back of the mortgage. And, you know, that would have probably had to been a mandate from Congress to say, like, listen, banks, you want to bail out? You want you want you want something that you want some money? Well, then you have to go ahead and, and uh, defer these months worth of mortgage. So that whenever that person gets back on their feet or the economy gets up, they're starting anew. And, you know, the one thing that the guy didn't mention that I just want to put out there is I don't even understand from a selfish point why mortgage companies wouldn't want to do this. You're going to get extra interest. Like, it's going to take someone longer to pay off the loan. So why do you care? You're just not getting your money up front. Like he said, you're getting it at the end. But, again, like... Those people that are standing out there, I want that. I bet you some of them could use that too. Because when I look at it, like even if you're a business person, you shouldn't be out there advocating for your your people to go back to work. But maybe your intentions are a little bit right in that because you see your employees are suffering. If we said as an American system and society that cared for its people, hey, look, we're going to take care of your workers because they're going to get basically UBI until this is over. And you aren't going to have to pay your mortgage. Oh, and we're going to actually give UBI. So you'll get it too. So if you have any little expenses, like you have to pay to keep the lights on, you know, you have to pay for maintaining, running, whatever. I don't, you know, the small expenses for a business that would be shut down outside of the mortgage. 
Well, guess what? You have a little money to pay that. Plus, you're getting UBI and all your employees are getting UBI. And we're just going to make sure we can focus on not economic recovery, but we're just going to make sure that everyone's copacetic right now. And that we are taking care of the virus and focusing our attention there. This whole back and forth garbage with Congress and like them doing this, these PP <sighs> paycheck protection program, all this it's it's just like it's it's what Washington does best and Americans hate the worst is it's this bureaucracy like we got to do things the hardest fucking way possible again but i think for us to get to a place where we go like that we're okay for for american society to sit home even you know i've heard things like if we just could sit still for 15 15 days like if everyone was just like able to sit still for 15 days that the virus would literally be contained and i don't know if it's gonna have to get real real bad for us to do that and to like force our change of thinking but i have to think that in this whole conversation that work and the need to work and the need to keep people thinking that they have to work that they should work and it's a moral right and you have to above everything else is part of the problem. All right, guys, tell me what you think. As always, I'm on JT, obviously, on Twitter. Also, please, 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 like I mentioned, go ahead and hit the subscribe, the follow, the like button on whatever platform you're listening to this on. And just give me feedback. I'm willing to hear another opinion, respectfully, of course. And let me know what you think. In the meanwhile, stay safe, stay healthy, and stay informed.